I stumbled upon an article that challenged the existing model for church, claiming American churches have become too consumeristic. The article stated, For the past four decades, the local and institutionalized church has positioned itself as a place to be entertained, discover your purpose, and plug in to community. And it's a strategy that's been wildly successful. But what happens when mimicking secular culture finally leads the church down a road it can't follow without dismantling itself? And as culture and generations change, is the church remaining relevant or becoming passively peripheral? Today on Bloom, we'll discuss consumerism in the church and the high price we are paying for it in the next generation. I'm your host, Jennifer Robinson, for March 3rd, 2023. a podcast designed to inspire, encourage, and grow women in their relationships with each other and the Lord. We've spent the past two months unpacking the significance of creating a home that fosters discipleship. Now this month and next month, we're diving into the topic of consumerism. Now I'm going to say this right out of the gate, full disclosure, I might say things that are a little spicy. Okay, they might burn just a tad is what I'm trying to say. But stick with me because I believe this is a message the church, particularly the American church, needs to hear. Now, I recently had a great conversation with a younger woman who said church ministry has become irrelevant and ineffective. She couldn't quite pinpoint a clear and concise reason as to why. But after discussing it with her further, it was obvious that she was accusing the church of being too consumeristic. So I've been really consumed lately on this concept of consumerism, its rise in our culture, and its infiltration into our churches. Now, if you know me at all, you know I'm a bit of an origins nerd. I love studying the beginning of how something came to be. Everything has an origin. Just look at the outline of the Bible. God started his story at the beginning. Because I think in order to fully understand how something came to be, we have to understand where it started. I also find the study of generations so incredibly fascinating. The trends, traditions, and the trademarks of one generation. How some are strikingly similar and how they all differ from one another. Each generation has certain characteristics that are an overarching theme. Now, since the church is not so much about a building and has everything to do with the people, we have to take a look at what was happening with people, what was happening in culture, and how the evolution of each generation affected the church model to become what it is today. Now, we would like to think that the church is ahead of the culture, but in reality, it's not. I'm sorry to say that, but it is a fact we are light years behind culture, which is why we tend to piggyback on what culture is doing instead of leading it. So in spite of what some may want to believe, more often than not, secular culture impacts the way church operates more than church impacting the way culture operates. Now, my grandparents were part of the silent generation. Now, you're in good company if you have never heard of this generation. A lot of people have never heard of it. But this generation comprised of individuals who were born between 1925 and 1945. I'm going to be throwing out a lot of date ranges, but I don't want you to be lost in those details. I want you to instead focus on the characteristics of these different generations. That's where we're gleaning our understanding from. 
Now, if you had to use one word to describe the silent generation, it would be loyal. They are loyal to their employers, their religious beliefs, and their families. They hold traditional values, show financial prudence, and model resilience. This generation also lived through the Great Depression, the most devastating economic shockwave that ever hit our country. So it is no wonder the silent generation is so resilient. If the value of our character hinges on our ability to withstand adversity, then this generation has character worth gold. When pressed in extreme circumstances like these, you learned how to live on the bare minimum. You became extremely discerning about what matters and what isn't necessary. My grandparents lived in the same house their entire life, drove one car, and never went into debt in order to purchase something just because they wanted it. They kept the same job, faithfully served at the same church, even shopped at the same grocery stores week after week. Now, the baby boomers, the offspring of the silent generation, named because they were part of a big boom of births that occurred after World War II, was different in some respects. Baby boomers are firm believers of hard work, they value relationships, and they are goal-centric. They were the generation that were raised on the idea of the American dream, and they pushed themselves to achieve that reality. Now, as this generation came into adulthood, they had tremendous influence on culture. So let's go back into time for just a moment. It was the 1970s. The baby boomer generation was just coming of age. Bell bottoms and disco were dominating pop culture. Traditionalism was out and self-expression was in. With the new age movement, the role of religion was being questioned by the baby boomers. The 1970s was a time of political and social upheaval, cultural change and economic struggle. At the same time, technology was advancing. Color TVs were becoming a household staple in every living room. So how could the church that the silent generation was so diligently loyal to be able to remain relevant to the baby boomers? The answer was simple. The church needed to mimic the culture. If you can't beat them, join them, right? So the church figured if we want to engage baby boomers, churches will have to create an environment that met the demand for what the young people were looking for. Now, with each new convenience and modern entertainment being advertised in culture, the rise of consumerism increased. Now, consumerism isn't exactly a new thing. It's been around for centuries. Human nature has this bent towards desiring things that offer no other function than to make life easier and bring us personal pleasure. But what happens when a consumeristic culture lands itself in the doors of the church? Let's begin by unpacking consumerism just a little bit. Joe Forrest, a writer for Medium, a blog that discusses intersection of faith, culture, secularism, and politics, writes this. Consumerism is a cultural ethic born out of the advent of mass production. He goes on to say it was further cemented by the advertising boom of the 50s and 60s. Consumerism hinges on the fact that if we only bought what we needed, our economy would collapse. Therefore, the goal of consumerism is to create artificial demand for goods and services you don't really need and probably didn't even know existed. But consumerism is so much more than an advertising strategy. I want you to pay close attention here. It's a worldview that fundamentally alters the way we approach our bodies, our relationships, our mental health, and even our religion. 
When you take the advertising boom in the 50s and 60s and add it to the cultural climate and technological advancement in the 1970s, consumerism was skyrocketing, and in order to remain relevant, the church decided to jump on the bandwagon. Church programming changed, outreach changed, support services changed. Baby boomers had the characteristic combination of being highly relational and desiring to acquire the American dream, which shaped church to become a place that still preached the gospel, but was packaged in such a way that offered the amenities of socialization and self-fulfillment. It's that combination of desiring the American dream and being highly relational. In his book, How Churches Become Cruise Ships, Sky Jathani writes, The logic was simple. If the baby boomers did not feel the need to connect with God, then perhaps another felt need would draw them into the church. The need for community or entertainment or help with their children and marriages. While they consumed the upbeat music, support groups, dramas, and therapeutic sermons, the hope was that they would find God as well. This has been the ongoing pattern of Western church ever since. And it's been widely successful. But up until now, maybe. Let's look at the millennials, those born between 1981 and 1996. Now, this generation, likely the children of baby boomers, became adults around the time of the millennium. According to a recent poll, nearly 40% of millennials consider themselves religiously unaffiliated. In a Barna research study, only 2 out of 10 millennials believe church attendance is, quote, important and worthwhile. Now, in case you're not following generational studies, millennials are no longer high school or even college age, okay? We are fully grown adults with jobs, families, and mortgages. Yes, I am a member of this category. So if you think those stats are bad, though, additionally, members of Gen Z, currently 11 to 26-year-olds, are twice as likely to identify as atheists than the general population. Fascinating, but mostly scary. So what does all this have to do with consumerism? Now, I am what I like to call an upperclassman of the millennial generation. I am among the older group of millennials. And I've shared my personal story of growing up in a mid-sized church that was the textbook definition of suburbia. I fell in love with Jesus at a young age. I grew up attending Sunday school and church camp passionately involved in my youth group, formed my closest friends there. But when I graduated high school and attended my very first women's ministry event, I was eager to experience more of God. It was my expectation that the older I got, the deeper my experience with the church would be. But my excitement quickly waned because instead of feeling like I was growing in Jesus with other women, something I really longed for, I felt like I was participating in a Christian country club. You might think I'm exaggerating, but I sadly am not. With the tea party theme made complete with centerpiece doilies, crustless cucumber sandwiches, and door prize giveaways, all I could think of was, I am going to go out of my mind. I mean, seriously, what is this? I mean, even the conversation was so incredibly shallow, There was not only no indication of spiritual depth, the clear and centralized subject matter of this gathering was all about socializing and self-fulfillment. And at its core, it felt like the very definition of consumerism, artificial demand for something I don't really need. 
In the desire to compete with culture, we've convinced ourselves that ministry looks like serving up an impressive spread of food, fussing over every decorative detail, and playing games to win prizes. Tie it up with a pretty bow of a 10-minute message and a prayer, and you have an effective modern, modern ministry. Only, it's not really ministry. It's materialism. Now, materialism, which could easily be considered the fraternal twin of consumerism, is a tendency to consider material possessions and physical comfort as more important than spiritual values. Now, the problem is obvious. We worship an idol of worldliness when we crave materialism over mature doctrine, fluff over faithfulness, and consumerism over Christ. We have been programmed to come to church so that we can be fed. You've probably heard that term before. And we want to be fed physically and spiritually. We want to consume enthusiastic worship, charismatic preaching, and every social-centered opportunity we can. I began vocational ministry in the summer of 2020 during the pandemic. And, you know, let me tell you, that was fun. When all the ministry events and classes resumed that fall, quarantine orders had been lifted, But our elders felt in order to keep everyone safe, we would require masks and we would also decide to eliminate food and beverages from our gatherings. You know, after so much time apart, you would think everyone would be so thrilled just to see each other again. But the changes proved to be more difficult for some. After the first no food, no beverage event, I was approached by several disgruntled people that had a strong opinion on the fact that there was no food. After I explained why, that it was for their safety and others, good explanation, their response, and I will never forget it, was, well, until the food comes back, I'm not coming back. Now, I'm going to say one of those spicy things I warned about. I've probably already said some things that stun a little bit, but I'm a firm believer that the hard truths need to be said. When we allow our churches to be programmed by consumerism, we don't make mature disciples. We will just be pacifying spiritual infants. Now, I am not an extremist. I am not protesting potlucks and fellowship of any kind, But what is the Western church emphasizing? In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul emphasizes the biblical model of the church. He said, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. It's not to say the church shouldn't be a place of fellowship and friendship, but that is meant to be the cherry on top, not the main purpose. The main purpose, our main emphasis, is that we are equipped to serve and we are to be unified in the faith so that we can be mature believers filled to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, in case you were wondering, there is nothing self-fulfilling about that verse. There is no anchor in personal comfort or convenience that we can draw from this verse. I realize that scripture verses with themes such as pick up your cross and being a living sacrifice are, you know, it's a hard sell. Let's be honest. These messages don't make you feel all warm and fuzzy inside. As a dear friend of mine once put it, (laughs) 
We would much rather hear a pretty message on Jesus' grace while we simultaneously stuff our face. But what did Ephesians say? The church is a place of personal comfort. No, it is a place for equipping its people for works of service, unifying us in faith and the knowledge of Jesus so we can become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, we Westerners, we want to be gluttons of God's grace, but we starve our works of service. Do you want to know what a consumeristic church looks like? I am married to a devout football coach. Now, this man breathes and eats football. Whether or not you love the game, you'll be able to understand this picture. So Bud Wilkinson was the coach of the Oklahoma Sooners when they were a powerhouse organization. During a media press conference, a reporter asked Coach Wilkinson, Coach, how has the game of football contributed to the health and fitness of America? To everyone's shock, Wilkinson replied, It hasn't contributed at all. What do you mean? The reporter asked. The coach said, I define football as 22 men on the field desperately needing rest and 22,000 fans in the stadium desperately needing exercise. In order for the church to remain effective and relevant in today's culture, we will need to let go of personal comforts and consumerism and pick up our cross and serve. We need mature believers in our communities, in our workplaces, and in our families. So what is the concerning connection of consumerism in the church and the effects on the next generation? I know we've been kind of teeter-tottering between these two conversations, consumerism and the different generations. Now, we did talk about a cultural shift that began in 1970. Interestingly, though, 1970 was also the year of a huge revival that occurred on February 3rd at a Kentucky university named Asbury. That might ring a bell. If you watch any ounce of news or are on social media, you have heard that last month on February 8th, another revival broke out in Asbury following a regularly scheduled chapel service. Now, both of these events multiplied rapidly across the nation, inspiring other churches to join in worship, creating a countrywide revival. Now, the timing of these two revivals is pretty incredible to me. 1970 was a time of enormous culture shift. So much was changing and the church felt it needed to change with it in order to compete for the attention of the baby boomers. Today, in 2023, we are also experiencing extreme changes in the culture. And in the midst of it, we find young Gen Z Christians responding in revival. But how does the church need to pivot in order to reach a generation of people who statistically are twice as likely to identify as atheists. Now, frankly, I'm not sure what church currently offers and what church currently looks like is enough to draw our youth. Now, the church consumerism method doesn't resonate with younger generations. If we want to effectively reach the next generation, if the church wants to remain relevant, we need to make some swift changes. Now, Gen Z is a generation of people who weren't here at the wake of technological advances that the 70s birthed, but instead they've known nothing other than technological advances. They are a generation who spends as much time on their phones as older generations watch TV. They are known to be resourceful, independent learners. 
Being the most racially and ethnically diverse generation in America to this point, they value diversity and inclusive culture. They value justice and equality. They are financially conservative, focusing on the investing and income. They have an incredible heart for mission and drive to accomplish the task. They believe value should be at the core of whatever work they do. They are comfortable expressing their opinions and likewise want the truth delivered without sugarcoating. This is a group of people who are individual learners, independent workers. Unlike their grandparents, this isn't a generation that has this deep need for face-to-face interaction. Remember, they are growing up looking at a screen to meet their social needs. It is far too easy for them to stay at home in their PJs and find a sermon on their phone that they want to listen to. Endless possibilities. It's all at their fingertips. Now, while the church has been using events, groups, and programs to engage people in coming through the doors, now instead, we need to invite them to be a part of something, not just invite them to attend something. This is a generation that could care less and are actually turned off by things like decorations, doilies, and themes, things I like to call fluff. They crave mission and purpose. Church is not something to attend like spectators in the stands. It's who we are. We've got to suit up and get some skin in the game. I believe if we don't recognize that now, we will lose the next generation altogether. Rethinking the church model after the 1970s revival worked for decades. But I'm wondering if in the wake of this new revival, is it time for the church to revisit the standard model for how we view church in order to reach the younger generations? I prayed heavily over this podcast because I realize it contains some hard truths and some tough questions. I've been around people long enough to know most people don't embrace change very easily. We're creatures of habit, so switching things up is really challenging. But my hope is that this would stir both prayer in our hearts and conversations with each other so that we can take a hard look in the mirror and ask ourselves if the American church is effective and relevant in our existing culture. I think there are certainly churches that are prioritizing this, but I think if we were really honest we would say there is a lot of work to be done. And it starts with you and me. We are the church. We aren't the 22,000 fans in the stands. We are on the ground, on mission, working towards the same goal, being equipped for works of service and growing into mature believers. Thank you for tuning in to Bloom Today. If this podcast has helped you grow, I would love for you to share with a friend, post the link on social media. It is my heart that we continue to grow together. Join me back next month for part two of this series. In the meantime, keep growing and God bless.